Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. If you want to know how the Bible ends, here it is, the last two verses in the Bible, and they couldn't be more beautiful. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty and the, just the glory of these words. We thank that you, you, that you are sovereign over all things and all people and all time. We thank you that we are already told from your word how it's all going to end. You're going to be victorious as you always have been. You're going to be in control as you always have been. And for the redeemed, you allow us the honor and privilege through your mercy of being in your presence. We long for that day in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. World War III. That's a term I've been hearing in the news lately. They like to say that term. I think it's a, a shock value kind of term given what's going on in our world today. But I do hear it a lot. World War III. One article on a U.S. news website said this just two days ago. They said President Alexander uh, Lukashenko, who has allowed his ally Russia to use Belarus territory to launch an invasion of Ukraine, pointed Thursday, this last Thursday, at Poland's offer of a peacekeeping mission made last week, saying this, quote, it will mean war, World War III, end quote. The situation is very serious and very tense, he added. Lukashenko's comment follows Russian President Vladimir Putin's warning at the start of the invasion of the Ukraine um, that any foreign interference, any foreign interference with Moscow's military action would trigger an immediate Russian response that will lead to, and here's this quote from President Putin, the consequences you have never seen in your history, end quote. Of course, the threat is a thermonuclear war that will ultimately destroy most of the planet. A few days after the start of the invasion, Putin ordered uh, to put Russia's nuclear forces on special alert of combat duty, uh, which is a step they would take as they are planning for nuclear war. Well, that has me thinking. I think it's entirely possible for men to be dumb enough to blow themselves up. <laughs> You know, we seem to be bent on destruction. Uh, you know, I, I just want to think and assume that surely he's a smart guy and he knows if he nukes us, we're going to nuke him and then everybody's going to nuke everybody and that'll be the end of it. And so we would never do that. That's the theory of that kind of nuclear deterrent and why everybody gets a bomb so nobody will use the bomb. And it makes sense if everybody is sensible, but not everybody is sensible. Some people don't have a brain in their head and sometimes they have access to the button. And so what happens? So I thought, well, what happens then? What if they push the button? What if there's nukes today before the day's out just flying all through the air all around the globe? What happens if they do that? Well, you don't have to wonder. Hollywood has given us literally hundreds of dystopian post-World War III movies to give us some wonderful guidance. <laughs> 
the odd thing about what Hollywood does for post-World War III movies is they look exactly like post-zombie uh, movies. They're the same. They're the same movie, except it's nuclear war or zombies. Same result either way. But will that really happen? What if that really happens? What is our next step might be the question, according to the Bible, following a nuclear holocaust. So this morning's message is entitled, The Day After. The Day After. You know, I kind of like this picture because it's the southern hemisphere that gets it. And I'm thinking, well, you know, we might be okay. Austin probably won't make it. But here in the Metroplex, we might be all right. Well, it won't work that way. The truth is, this isn't the day after. This is the day of. And for the redeemed, I actually have a second title page for the day after is right here. Uh, for God's people, that's what we're going to see rather than a, a fiery planet. Of course, the day after a nuclear holocaust will mean most of us will be, well, rather toasty. Uh, that, will, that will be the end of most of mankind so whether the day after Christ returns or the day after our temporary body we have now gives out, just think about the day after. Even less than a day, or the, the very hour, or perhaps even less than that, the very moment you and I open our eyes and we realize we're in heaven. That mo That's a good moment, is it not? You don't have the other moment. That moment we realize that we're in the presence of God. That instant you realize you've had victory over death through Christ and that victory is complete. When you open your eyes, what will you see? The beauty and the perfection of it all. Well, I can tell you what you won't see. I don't know everything you're gonna see in heaven but I know what you're not going to see. I just wrote down a few. You could sit down and just write page after page of things that you won't see in heaven. I know, for example, we won't have any vaccination cards. <laughs> there will be no politics. I don't know if we'll even have politicians, but there'll be no politics. <laughs> April 15th won't even exist. Amen. There will be no more goodbyes in heaven, ever. No wars, no speed limits, no band-aids, no cell phones, no texting, and no posting. There will be no sad songs in heaven, no sin, no loneliness, no boredom, no dieting, and no debt or debt collectors. There will be no door locks. There'll be no fencing. There'll be no security alarms. We won't need them. There'll be no celebrities or billionaires or homeless or second class. None of that will exist. There's, there'll be no senior centers or youth centers, no minorities, no foreigners, as everyone will be truly equal, completely united, and eternally perfect in Christ. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Now, I don't know exactly what we'll say on that day, but that's really what caused me to think. When we open our eyes, I get that. But what happens when we open our mouth? I expect that after we open our eyes, it won't take long for worship to break out. <laughs> 
And I can share with you today just at least three simple words, powerful words that we will hear in heaven coming from the mouths of others and coming from our own mouth from day one, maybe in the first few moments. The first word I think that we'll hear in heaven is the word amen, amen. The word amen is a confirmation of our praise. We, we've used it for a very long time. New Testament, Old Testament, it is an ancient term. It is an enthusiastic, that's right. But amen is also used as a declaration. So be it. Jesus would often his, begin his statements with the words, amen, amen, lego humine, which means truly, truly, I say to you. It was his way of declaring what I'm about to tell you is the truth. And there's a reason he had to make that declaration at the beginning of what he said, because they were uh, a people who had been listening all their life to a group of religious leaders that were lying to them, that were deceiving them, that were sharing all kinds of falsehoods about themselves and about God. And so Jesus came into the midst of that and he says to them, I want you to know that what I'm telling you is the truth, a declaration of the truth to come. Amen is also an enthusiastic make it so. That's why here in Baptist churches, along with many other denominations, we say amen. Some churches say it more than others, but I like to hear a hearty amen from time to time. Amen? amen. <laughs> Very good. That's why I'll, I'll be, I love you guys. I love you guys. I love preaching in black churches. I haven't got to do that very much. But when I preach in black churches, I get lots of response. I mean, a lot of response. And I'll get response if I say something wrong, too, by the way. We, again, we're so scared that somebody's going to hear us say something or sing something or pray something. And so we're just scared to death. Now, I grew up at First Baptist Church Graham, a conservative church, a traditional church to this very day. And when I was a kid, there was a big controversy in our church as to whether or not you should be permitted to clap at the end of a song or a special music or not. There was a lot of talk about that. Should you clap or should you not clap? And the reason I think that we, we went through that, it's been a long time, early, mid-1970s since that controversy, but my memory of that is that they don't, the reality is, they didn't want to be perceived like the church down the street you know, that was a little bit crazy, you know, did kind of wackadoo things. We don't want to be that denomination of that church, so we got to keep it straight-laced all the time. And I think that we developed this culture of just sitting there like a bump on a log, as my grandmother would say. Now, I, I agree that God is a God of order, not disorder. I don't think there should be all kinds of craziness going on in church. I don't want people coming in here like they did in the first century with the church in Corinth and thinking we'd all lost our minds. But at the same time, we're not robots. God didn't design us as robots. Amen. Amen. We have a heart, we have a mouth, and we have a mind, and God wants us to, I think, participate. I don't want you just sitting out there thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. I'm hungry too. But <laughs> you and I both need to focus. I assume you want me to focus on the message. I want you to focus, and God wants you to focus on his word as well, and we should be all in. And so a little feedback helps. A little interactivity is welcome. 
You better get used to it because in heaven you're going to be saying it a lot. Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's a declaration. Amen. So be it. There's a song that we used to sing, a very simple little praise hymn called Yes, I don't remember what it was called, but it was Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. Do you remember that? The pretty simple song. It's just basically Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty simple theology, but pretty profound. We say yes to God and so be it. Amen. Um, a lifetime atheist once was found reading the Bible on his deathbed. A friend of his came in. He knew his friend was an atheist, a lifelong atheist, and he was shocked to find that he was sitting there or laying there reading the Bible in his last few moments of life, in his last few hours of life. And he said, what are you doing reading that Bible? And his atheist friend said, well, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so thankful that in a relationship with Christ, we don't have to worry about loopholes. When we die or when Christ returns, we will all see Jesus. Amen and amen. Back to our passage for today, the final words in Scripture. In two short verses, we see a promise, a declaration, a plea, and a blessing. A promise, a declaration, a plea, and a blessing. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. That's the word, those are the words of Christ where he makes that great promise. Starts with a promise. Jesus says, I'm coming back. This will all keep going forever. There is a time where I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to return. And he makes that promise. Secondly, we see a declaration and it is the word, amen. I am coming soon. Amen. So be it. And then we see this plea that John makes. Come, Lord Jesus. Christ himself says, I'm coming back. Amen. And John goes, okay, yeah, let's do that. I like that. Come on. Come on back. Come, Lord Jesus. And then verse 21, we see the final verse of the Bible, a blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So twice in those two verses, we see this word, amen. The Bible ends with the word, amen. The last word in the Bible, and it's there like that for a reason. So be it. A declaration of the truth of the word of God. Amen is also an enthusiastic me too. That is, there's a connection between us and the word of God. And we're saying, hey, I agree with that. Me too. I want to be a part of that. Nehemiah chapter, chapter 8, verse 6 uh, this is uh, when Ezra led the people to worship. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so they're all into this worship. Their faces are to the ground. I mean, they're, they're down on the ground and worshiping God with all of their might. They're raising their heads, hands. And the one thing it says that they're saying is, amen, amen. Way back in the Old Testament, an ancient word. I don't remember high school. Almost none of it. My teachers, 
a lot of my friends, I don't remember their names. I, I've, I've forgotten what they even look like, so many of them. That's because I didn't really care for high school. I was there in body. I know none of you high schoolers are like that. You're all in, amen? You, you love high school, you just can't wait to get back there tomorrow. Well, I wasn't. Um, I found it all extremely boring, and it was something I had to physically be at in order to walk across that stage so I didn't have to physically be at anymore. I couldn't wait till it was over. And I know a lot of high schoolers, that's their kingdom, and they love high school. They just lap it up, but I just did not. And I was barely conscious most of the time, if at all. But I was there physically. I did what I had to do to get that degree, but it just wasn't that great of a memory for me. And so I've dismissed it or forgotten it over the years. I hope that you don't feel that you're wasting your time here this morning. That you're coming in like a robot. You're just going through the motions. You think I just, I'll do my thing at church so I can get on with my real life when I leave. Maybe you think if you come to church that something will just rub off on you. Listen, faith is not biochemical. <laughs> God's love for us is not viral. You're not going to catch it like a fungus. We won't get it just by being in the room. There has to be something that's going on here and here in order for God to pour out his love on us and for us, more importantly, to sense that God has poured out his love on us in Christ. Enthusiastic worship and glorifying God is a matter of heart. Amen? The second word we hear, in, we will hear, I think, in heaven is the word hallelujah. I told you it won't take very long. We'll wake up with that big amen. Amen. Oh, yeah, there's no flames. I think we'll say amen. <laughs> That's good. But I think the second thing we'll do is point our eyes to the throne of God. And I suspect the first thing out of our mouth is going to be the word hallelujah. Passionate, heartfelt hallelujah. And by the way, the word hallelujah is from the heart, first of all. It's not an intellectual term. Even, even amen is, is a mental acknowledgement. So be it. But hallelujah, all heart. Right from the heart. Also, um, hallelujah not only is just a word from the heart, but it is a word that has to be passionate. You can't just nonchalantly say hallelujah. It just doesn't work. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. It, it has to be passionate. Uh, Psalm chapter 111 one says it this way. And, and of course, David has so many passages we could look at. But he says, I will extol the Lord with all my heart. Can imagine if you, if you saw David say it almost like this, but instead he said, I will extol the Lord with half my heart. Or I will say the magic words and maybe God will get it. It's the with all my heart that is just so essential in the middle of that. It, it gives the rest of it context and understanding. If you're going to lift up the name of God, if you're going to praise him, if you're going to give an hallelujah to God, it has to be, must be from all of your heart. Revelation chapter 19 verse 1. Oh, wow. What a great passage. This is John the Revelator saying in, in chapter 19, verse 1, 
After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. Now, let me start right there. They're not singing it. Now, there will be singing, I have no doubt, in heaven. Here, they're shouting it. They're not saying it. They're not mumbling it. They're not thinking it in their heart, introspectively. They are, we will be shouting in heaven, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, what's the word? Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried two words, amen and hallelujah. How about that? So you don't have to worry if you can carry a tune in heaven, just shout amen and hallelujah from the heart forever and ever, and you'll be okay. It's a word of adoration. It literally means to adore God. True praise demonstrates we enjoy God. And that's what I want when you come in here. Now, we have to deal with sin. It is, it is because of your sin and my sin that we need a Savior in the first place. And you've got to deal with some very serious and I, we all have to deal with some very serious grievances in our life where we have done things that dishonor God and fall short of his glory. Absolutely. But generally speaking, especially once that sin is confessed and dealt with, church should be a passionate time of praise. It should be a time of adoration to God. I think you and I should enjoy worship. We should enjoy lifting up the name of God. Not something we endure or dread, but something that we enjoy because we're in the presence of God. <sighs> I don't know, uh, if, you, if you've not gone here very long, you don't know this. Uh, the longtime members, all of you know, I used to be a school teacher. Did you know that? I taught public school for three years. That was enough. God called me into the ministry, and I thank God every day for that. But it gave me an appreciation for school teachers, by the way. God bless you uh, for what you do and what you endure as a school teacher. I taught sixth grade, and I taught art. Grew up in a family of artists, and I've painted all my life. I'm not, I won't say I'm a very good artist, but I, I love to paint, love to draw. I love art. Art is this interesting thing that, that, that has developed naturally in our society because I think because we are created in the image of God and God is creative. He's the creator. Now we can't make life. We cannot create life. God, only God can do that. But we can create. It's extraordinary. You take a canvas and some paints and you make a beautiful sunset. Now we're just trying to copy what God does in 3D, but it's still amazing that we can create something on a piece of paper from nothing. I love that. And I taught sixth grade. It's a great age because always before they're just using crayons and they're just making a mess because they're having fun. They see art as entertainment. It's when they get about sixth grade, they begin to realize through some training and some techniques that they can actually make art and understand that that's what art is. It's creating something beautiful. I like that. But I had a problem because it was sixth grade, because sixth graders learn a lot more than just art in the sixth grade. 
they, they, they get hormones. And as a teacher, and a, an art teacher in particular, it was a problem for me because they, the little girls would sit over there and they would talk to each other and snicker about the little boys that are over on the other side of the room. And I tried to keep them separated as much as I could, but there was a lot of silliness going on. And here's the issue that I had. They couldn't help but to inject in their artwork their admiration for whoever. And so inevitably there will be, I'll be looking at their artwork, their homework, and, and there's a heart with their initials and somebody else's initials in the heart. I'll see a beautiful landscape and up in the clouds, there's a heart and somebody's initials in it. And I'll go, do you, do you, do you look in the clouds? They don't, that's not in the clouds. But you know, they, they, they have learned, they, they have this puppy love, this crush on somebody, and they've never felt that way before. And it just comes out in all that they do. On, in their homework, they see it on the title page of their homework. I know, Lisa, you've had to deal with that. And in their, their little notebook binder, it'll just be page after page of heart, 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 and all this, and I like you, do you like me, check here, that kind of thing. It just comes out because that's what's going on in here. Well, that's what Alleluia does. It, it, is, it is what's in here just pouring out from us in adoration to God. So how do we adore God? Well, it tells us in the passage, if you go back to that passage, this is Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. Starting in verse 1, you'll see there in verse 1, uh, we praise God for salvation. It's mentioned immediately. They acknowledge that salvation that is from being lost to save the forgiveness of our sins from death to life. Salvation comes from God and Him alone. And we can praise Him for deliverance and assurance. That tells me that Russia can't touch us because we've been saved by grace. It is also a word of praise for glory and honor. Again, in verse 1, God alone is worthy. We have nothing to boast in except for our boasting of the Lord. It's all about God. We didn't do half the work to get into heaven. Christ did all of it on the cross for us. It's also adoration for his power. Again, in verse 1, he is the all-powerful one. All power comes from him and belongs to him. It's not political power. It's not technical power, technological power. It is God's power that is above all things. And then we adore him for his judgments. We see that in verse 2. Those in heaven who have a more perfect knowledge than us say that God's judgments are true and right. Perfect. Louis Albert Banks tells of an elderly Christian man who was a very fine singer who learned that he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. In the hospital, after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to the doctor, are you sure I will never sing again? The, the surgeon found it difficult to answer his question. He just simply shook his head and said no. The patient then asked if he could stop and sit up for a moment. This is just before surgery. He said, I've had many good times singing the praises of God. He said, and now you tell me I can never sing again. I have one song that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. 
There in the doctor's presence, the man sang softly the word, words of Isaac Watts' hymn. I'll praise my maker while I've breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall never be passed while life and thought and my being last. He wanted to make sure the last words out of his mouth were praise to his God. Hallelujah. The third word that we will hear in those first moments in victory, it may be the first word out of our mouth, is the word victory. Victory. You have to know that. You, you open your eyes to see that. Oh, victory. <laughs> That's what victory looks like, by the way, right there. That moment in heaven. That song they sang this morning, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I love that. It's good theology in that song. First Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul writing to the members of the Corinthian church there in Corinth. He says this, gives us this wonderful promise. He says, when the perishable, that is our body, which is perishable, has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in what? In victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us, here it is, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I told you that Satan is out to defeat you and destroy you. He'll get you if he can. And what I told you was true. But I, I didn't touch on something as much as I should have. And one of the members, as they were leaving, mentioned to me at the door. And I appreciate, by the way, she wasn't complaining. If you want to complain... I don't. So <laughs> the, the woman ain't complaining in heaven, by the way, either. But I, I appreciate when you have a comment or a concern or you might have misunderstood what I said or I didn't say it as clearly as I could have. And they made a good point and they didn't mean to be critical at all. They simply said that they knew someone who, who struggles with temptation from Satan and everything that they do and you know people like this, they're sitting in your chair. <laughs> and I'm the same way. They blame the devil for everything that's happening in their life. Again, the devil made me do it kind of thing. That the devil is repressing me, the devil is, is, is tempting me, the devil is trying to kill me or trying to get me and he's hounding me. And all of that may be true, but I shared last week and I should have expounded on that that through Jesus Christ, the devil can't make you do a doggone thing. You can have victory over Satan, not half the time or most of the time, but every single time. It doesn't matter what the oppression is. It doesn't matter what the discouragement is. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. God gives us the power through the Holy Spirit because of Christ to have victory over Satan every single time. He can't touch us through Christ. So we're going to be shouting that in heaven, victory. The victory won't be won in heaven, by the way. It was won on the cross 2,000 years ago already. I assure you, victory 
is a word we will use many times on that first day in heaven and every day after. There's an old hymn that says it this way. I had not seen or heard this hymn before. Maybe you know it. Victorious, victorious, Christ has arisen glorious. Where the heavenly tomb was, or excuse me, where the heavy tomb was sealed, gates of paradise revealed. Where the mourners wept around, faith looks up with glory crowned. Over the grave, victorious, Christ has risen glorious. The next verse says, glorious, excuse me, victorious, victorious, Christ has arisen glorious. On his brow, the conqueror's wreath, in his hand, the hand, the keys of death. He shall buried hopes restore. He shall live forevermore over death victorious. Christ has arisen glorious. It was Dr. Warren Wiersbe, the theologian. He has a saying that goes like this. We aren't fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Because the victory has already been won for us. So if Satan taunts you this week, if he tempts you this week, if he discourages you this week, remember, you're fighting from victory. You're fighting him, but you're fighting from victory. God has already given you victory from him. I'm so thankful I don't have to worry about World War III. Nothing I can do about it anyway. Some nut wants to push a button. So being afraid won't help. And for God's people, I'm ready to wrap it up anyway. <laughs> because when I wake up, that's what I'm going to see that first moment. Christ is my victory. And one way or another, I'm going to see him soon. And that promise chorus will be filled. I heard about a mansion he's built from me in glory. I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. Pray with me. Father, how we long for that day that we will be exclaiming victory. Hallelujah. Amen.